0: As I said, last week, Ben Stewart spoke here at City Church. Ben is the executive director of Uncharted Ministries, which is based here in Evansville. And Ben did a wonderful job last week. In fact, I had many people asking, you know, we're filling a new position. We're looking to hire someone for a position here at City Church. And many people were asking, could we hire Ben? And I will tell you, I'd love to be able to hire Ben. But Ben is very happy, I think, in what he's doing at Uncharted. And uh, so... We'll let Ben speak to us this morning, and we'll appreciate what he does bring to us today. And so if you would, please show your appreciation this morning to Ben Stewart. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks, you guys. And I will admit, if the whole Uncharted thing doesn't work out, I'm definitely going to apply for that position. So apparently uh, last week... You know, I, I said something, uh, I slammed cat owners, but not enough of you emailed to keep me away this week, so uh, I'm back, and it's great to be back with all of you. Little, little bit of context for who I am, if you were not here uh, last week, my wife, Kathy, and I, we've been married for 16 years. We have two kiddos, Eli and Olivia, who are in middle school, and we moved here a year ago, a little over a year ago from Colorado. We just got really bored of the mountains and all of that landscape and decided to swap it out for something a little bit more adventurous, like Indiana in the Midwest, and um, and so we came here, but the truth is, um, we came here because God called us to be part of this local uh, but budding and growing entrepreneurial mission organization called Uncharted International, and we thought we were coming solely because of that, but what's, when, what's been really amazing is to see how God has called us not just to Uncharted, but really this, this community of people. And uh, one of the unique privileges I have is to be at multiple church communities like this in this capacity. And uh, we've just been so blessed and so welcomed um, by all of you in this community. And, I, and you guys are a part of that. So even though we don't really know each other, I just want to say thank you on behalf of myself and my family for, uh, for welcoming, welcoming us in to this community in such a gracious way. And it is great to be back here with you this morning. Last week, if you were here last week, I talked about this whole idea of when the gospel arrives. What happens when the gospel arrives? The good news of Jesus Christ, that hope and salvation and joy and life and forgiveness and grace are found uh, in relationship with Jesus. What happens? And we looked at... How when the gospel arrives in a culture, whole communities are changed. Whole families are, re- are restored and uh, broken institutional frameworks are, are redeemed. And uh, political systems and economic systems are just completely altered when the gospel arrives in a community. We talked about how when the gospel arrives, people begin to flourish we heard Mally's story and a few other examples from the book of Acts about how different people at different stages of life and in different walks of life began to flourish when the gospel arrived in their hearts. And so today what I want to do, it is kind of a follow-up from that, I guess, is I want to ask this question, well, how, how does the gospel arrive then? We talked about what happens when it does, but how does it? How does the gospel arrive? What does it look like To bring the gospel to the places. And we ended last week by asking the question, why does this matter? Talking about uh, the billions, billions of people in the world who are considered unreached. They have no access to the gospel. Which is why organizations like Uncharted exist. But we also talked about the people here in this community. The people here to whom the gospel has not yet arrived. And why it matters to them and to us, that the gospel arrive in their heart and in their life. And so I want to talk this morning from Luke chapter 9 about what it looks like uh, to go boldly, to, to be a group of people, to be a movement of people who bring the gospel into these places and into these people's. At Uncharted, one of we use this phrase a lot, go boldly, and it's got layers of meaning for us because on the one hand, we talk about going boldly physically and geographically to unreached places, to hard places, to places that are difficult in terms of gospel access, but we also talk about go boldly on a very personal level. Going boldly is very personal. It's personal for me because I'll tell you what, I don't want to get comfortable in my faith. I don't want to settle for status quo. I want to keep allowing myself and putting myself in a position where Jesus is calling me to go farther, to go outside my comfort zone. So for us, when we talk about going boldly, it includes this dynamic of responding to the call of Jesus to go outside what is normal, what is status quo for us, especially here in the Western Christian culture. And so this morning, I'm going to look at Luke chapter 9, and we're going to see an invitation from Jesus. Jesus. And sometimes it's easy to just relegate, okay, this is, a, this is a scene in Scripture. So the invitation that Jesus is giving to his followers in Scripture is really just an invitation for those followers. But I hope you hear this morning, I really hope you hear the voice of God. And I don't mean that in like a weird, creepy way. But literally, I hope you hear an invitation from God this morning. He's inviting you. He's inviting you to something. So Luke chapter 9, go ahead and turn there. Uh, we're going to be in the first several verses. And while you're turning there or turning your app on to Luke chapter 9, let me just pray that, God, you would continue to speak to your people. I thank you for the worship that we've had this morning already. I love, I love what Wes was saying at the beginning, that just the time to exhale. We take in a lot throughout the week. Would this be a time just to exhale, to, to have a reorientation? We come into a sanctuary, we come into a safe place, a place where we intend to meet you. And I pray that as a result of meeting you here this morning, there would be a new orientation of thought, of word, of practice, of action, and of heart. So would you speak to us, God? Would you speak to your sons and daughters? Would you take me out of this equation? We want to hear from you in your name, amen. Okay, so we're going to be looking at this invitation in Luke chapter 9. But before we get there, I want to talk about this idea of conversion. All right, conversion. Now, in Christianity, conversion is a really loaded word. But at its basic core, the word conversion means just a basic change of belief. A change of belief that results in a change of behaviors. When you convert from something to something, you're changing your belief about that thing and you're changing your behaviors based upon your new belief. So, in life, every person experiences these different conversion moments, these different change moments. It's like really important ones. You know, like the moment you realize that Apple products really are better than Samsung products, okay? Or even more important conversion moments when you realize that Chipotle, hands down, is way better than Qdoba, okay? And I don't care if you come back with the whole, like, they have queso at Qdoba. It's not that, okay. So, there's these... There's these really significant moments, conversion moments in our life where something changes. A a belief changes that leads to a change of behavior and practice. Now, in the Christian faith, there is what we would call the foundational or cornerstone conversion moment. This moment when we realize, we we go from this place of being broken from God as a result of our sin and rebellion, we go from a broken relationship from God to, by his grace, having our eyes opened and and our hearts softened to this truth that I am a sinner. I am a sinner. And not only am I a sinner and am I broken in relationship from God because of my sin, but there's nothing I can do in and of myself. There's nothing I can do in and of myself to be restored to God, to be restored to the relationship for which I was designed and created for. There's nothing. There's no list keeping. There's no amount of religiosity. There's no checklist that I can check off to do good enough to restore. And so I submit and I surrender myself in faith to the person of Jesus Christ whom God sends in pursuit of us to redeem us and restore us back to himself. And I say, Christ, I I don't have what it takes to live righteously enough, so I I take your righteousness. And I put my faith in the righteous life of Jesus Christ, and I put my faith in the death of Jesus when he took upon himself the wrath of God that I so deserve because of my sin. And I put my faith in the resurrection of Jesus when he defeated sin and death. And I put my faith in the person of Jesus as he sits next to the Father. And so there's this moment in our life where God, by his grace, and I love Paul's language, how he describes this, this conversion. It's like in Colossians 1, I, I envision it says God transfers us. So I, I picture God like this master gardener, you know, like, and he's, getting, he's coming down and he's getting his hands dirty. And he's firmly but lovingly and gently Plucking us out of this tangled mess And moving us or transferring us Is the word that Paul uses Into the kingdom of his son Into this place where we can Flourish and bloom And be who it is that God designed us to be So that friends Is like this cornerstone Foundational conversion moment In our faith When we change Change belief Which results in changed behaviors But There's an author named Peter Scazzaro who writes uh, several books. One of them is The Emotionally Healthy Leader. And in this book, he talks about how even from that moment, that initial foundational core conversion, there are other conversions that Christians experience. There are other moments in our faith journey when something changes in our understanding, in our belief, and in our behaviors. Now, I say all of this because in Luke chapter 9, what's happening is one of those conversion moments for the followers of Jesus. There's a really significant change happening in the disciples. In, Luke's cha- in Luke chapters 1 through 8, a little bit of context, in Luke chapters 1 through 8, the primary focus up to this point has been on the ministry and the message of Jesus. So in those eight chapters, everything's been about the life of Jesus and what he talks about in terms of the kingdom of heaven is near and the ministry of Jesus, how he heals people, how he um, demonstrates in very powerful and tangible ways what it looks like the kingdom of God is here. And so in Luke chapters 1 through 8, the primary focus has been Jesus, front and center. And his disciples have been on the peripheral. They've been observing. They've been watching. They've been, you know, like companions, but not really actively participating. And what happens in Luke chapter 9 is there's a change. There's a change. Jesus turns around to them. It's as if he says, okay, guys, it's your turn. It's your turn. And the invitation from Jesus that we see happening in Luke chapter 9 is that he calls them from being casual observers of the ministry and mission of Jesus to active participants. Active participants. Look at Luke chapter 9. We're going to see this invitation. We're going to see there's three parts of this invitation in the first two verses. And he, Jesus, called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Okay, so use your mind's eye. Shut your eyes if you have to for a second, but use your mind's eye. Use your imagination. I want you to realize that in the first eight chapters of of Luke, it's all been about Jesus. He's been front and center. The disciples have been back here. And now in these two verses, it's like Jesus turns around and says, okay, guys, it's your turn. It's time to move. It's time to go boldly. It's time to actively participate in the mission of my Father. The mission to redeem and restore creation back to himself. There's three parts that we see in these two verses of this invitation. The first, the first is to realize we all have a mission. You have a mission. It says in verse 1 that Jesus called his followers. Friends, the truth is there is no follower of Jesus who is exempt from engaging and participating in the mission of the Father. It's like saying, I am a human being, therefore I breathe. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, therefore I am part of God's mission. The question is never, do I have a mission? The question is, how engaged am I in that mission? So this is important for us to get right out of the gate here, friends, because I think sometimes, especially in the culture that we've created here in the States, is we've created this culture of, well, there's paid professionals for that. You know, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let Pastor Jeff do that. Isn't that his job? Like, isn't he supposed to go to coffee shops Monday through Friday and just, like, hang out with people and tell them about Jesus like, that's, that's what he's supposed to do. Isn't that why we pay people, like, you know, this, weird, this random Ben guy to, like, go to far-off places and just let him do this? We have to burst through that mentality and realize that by nature of being a follower of Jesus means you are part of his mission to redeem and restore creation packed to the Father. You are. So Listen. If you are a stay-at-home dad or a stay-at-home mom, you have just as much a calling and mission as the missionary who goes to Timbuktu and dies there. If you are a plumber, if you are a teacher, if you are a business owner, if you are a college student, if you are a high schooler, if you are a middle schooler, if you are at any stage of life a follower of Jesus, regardless of the context, regardless of your job, regardless of your vocation, regardless of your gender, you have a mission from God. You do. The question really is, how engaged are you with it? So the first reality that we see in this invitation, when Jesus is turning to his followers and saying, guys, it's it's time, it's time, it's your turn to go from being observers of the mission to active participants is to realize I have a mission. I'm not exempt. I have a calling where I am right now. The second thing we see though, and this is, This is essential. In verse 1, it says, he called, there's the mission, he called the 12 together, and he gave them power. He gave them power and authority over all demons to heal diseases. Here's the truth. God does not call us to engage in a supernatural mission without giving us a supernatural power. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he tells his followers, one of the last things he tells his followers is, I am sending you my spirit, and he will be your power as you go and be my witnesses all over the world, here and everywhere. Friends, if we want to take seriously the mission of God, if we want to take seriously and respond seriously this invitation from God to engage in his mission, then we have to realize that we cannot do it in our own power. He has given us his spirit. The truth is that when God calls us into mission, he doesn't say to us, okay, I've called you into this. Good luck with this. Now go do this for me. We don't do mission for God. We do mission with God. And we're empowered with his spirit living in us to do it. What's scary is, to a certain level, we can live out mission in our own strength. To a certain level, we can live out mission based off my great personality and my skills and my expertise and yada, yada, yada. We can, for a time, for a season. Then we, we fall flat on our faces. Because we try to engage in a supernatural mission in our own strength, in our own power. So here, the invitation from Jesus this morning, friends, that if we take seriously this, this response to go boldly and to be participants in the mission of, of Jesus to restore and redeem creation back to the Father, that we must go empowered by his spirit. So we see that there's a calling, there's a mission, there's an empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and then we see there's a strategy. There's a strategy. In verse 2, it says that Jesus sent them out This is active. This is a a lifestyle, which is where we're going to end. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Proclaim, perform. Declare, demonstrate. The strategy of what it looks like to live this mission is that we, uh, uh, we, we express a holistic understanding of the gospel that changes the whole person, it's a holistic expression of the gospel. We talk about the reality that we are sinful and broken and that we are in need of restoration to the Father through Jesus. We talk about the reality of the hopelessness that is in humanity, in the world without Jesus, but we also talk about the grace and the forgiveness and the joy and the peace and the, and the fulfillment that comes in relationship with the Father through Jesus. We don't leave one out with the other. You can't talk about the good news of Jesus Christ without talking about the reality of our sin and our brokenness. It's a holistic expression of the gospel. It impacts the whole person. It impacts the whole person. What good is it, friends, to go drill a well for somebody and give them access to clean water without also providing for them access to the living water? But on the flip side, what good is it, friends, to provide access to the living water and then say, good luck! Good luck with the whole water thing and not provide them physical access to physical water. The gospel, when Holy expressed, impacts the whole person. What does this look like? There's a mission organization that I was part of and actually Uncharted is uh, looking to partner with. I'm going to say uh, one of their locations and it's, it's not going to feel like a mission field. Paris. Paris, in Paris. 0.01%. Paris is a city of over 10, well over 10 million people. 0.01% of people in Paris know Jesus. To them, Jesus is on par with Santa Claus. In the whole country of France, there's one church for every 35,000 people. That looks like three churches here in Evansville. So needless to say, there are a lot of unreached people who are not responding to the gospel in Paris and in France. There's a, there's a group that we're uh, moving towards partnership with in Paris, and they have a community center in the heart of Paris. And in this community center, they do things that help build relationship and build trust with people who live in Paris. So they have ESL times where they're teaching English as a second language. And they have open mic nights and music nights and craft times and just all these different things that allow them to build relationship with these people. Why? So that when the shootings happen, like happened a year ago in the nightclub, and the city is in chaos and the people are feeling void of any sort of hope, where do you think those people go? They go to the Genesis Center, this community center. And who do you think is there? The missionaries. And they don't start, you know, thumping Bibles over their heads. They just receive them and welcome them and love them and talk about hope and talk about grace and talk about forgiveness and talk about a future. And they invite them to come into this community of other believers and people as a result are saved it looks like in Myanmar uncharted has a restoration center for uh, for survivors of human trafficking do you know what a holistic expression of the gospel looks like to these women It looks like inviting them into this space and giving them uh, uh, training and teaching on practical jobs that they can, once they leave the place and go back into community, they can have a sustainable livelihood and income for themselves. It looks like having three staff members there who can be counselors for these women as they recover from the emotional and mental trauma that they've lived through but it also looks like providing on a daily basis an opportunity to hear about Jesus and be in his word and grow in faith with him so that when these women leave the Restoration Center, it's not just their economic standing that's impacted, it's not just their mental standing that's impacted, it's not just their emotional standing that's impacted, but it's also their faith that's impacted and changed. When we engage in the mission of God, it's meant to impact the whole person as we declare and demonstrate the good news of Jesus. So, we see this invitation from Jesus to us to move, to go boldly, from being observers of the mission of God to active participants. And hear that regardless of where you are, you have a calling on your life. You have a calling on your life. You have been empowered by the Spirit of God To demonstrate and declare his good news. So, what does this look like? What are two ways to respond to this? First is what I call the activity of mission. The activity of mission. These are like tangible uh, uh, ways that you can physically respond and get engaged in the activity of mission. So, let me talk about, before I get to this stuff, let me talk about for a moment that this church is deeply connected to Community One. It could be this morning that God is shoulder tapping you to get engaged with how God is using community one to bring the gospel into this city and to change families and lives in this city. By the way, engaging in God's mission is not equated to, okay, I have to buy a really expensive plane ticket, I have to get on a plane, and I have to go over to some remote village, and I have to eat nasty things so that I get strange diseases, so that when I come back, I can tell people I had a legit mission experience. No, 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 no. Maybe God's calling you to do that. That's what Uncharted's all about except the strange diseases part. But the point is, right here, right now, God could be calling you to engage in his, the activity of mission by partnering with City Church and Community One to bring the gospel into the families of this very community. Maybe for you, that's what it looks like to move, to go boldly. Maybe for some of you, it is on a global scale. And there's, and there's ways with Uncharted and other great organizations. So when I talk about Uncharted right now, it's not a shameless plug. But this is me just saying, here, it's the church's responsibility to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus. This is the way that we can help you do that. On November 2nd, we have an event called Stories of Courage. Stories of Courage features four different stories. The main one is our guest speaker, J.R. Martinez, who is a survivor of, a, a, of an accident in the Iraq war. He's coming to share the impact of his faith and on his journey and how God has used his life in a courageous way. It is also going to feature a story of a survivor at our Thilo Center in Myanmar, our restoration center. It's going to feature a story of courage of one of our workers in a creative access place in Central Asia. It's going to feature a story of one of our orphan care leaders, how God is using him to love hunt, and raise a generation of men and women on mission. So for you, maybe one of the ways to engage actively in this mission is to, is to come. This is another invitation. November 2nd, come and participate in, uh, in what's happening on this night, the stories of courage. Going back to the other slide, trips. Some of you who have part of this church and other churches in the community have gone on short-term trips with Uncharted. Maybe God is shoulder-tapping you this morning to do a short-term trip. I'll tell you what, when done well, short-term trips can not only be an incredible blessing and, and support in advancing the vision of the national and local church in a country, but it can also be something that just completely blows apart our understanding of God's global kingdom and radically shapes our faith. Maybe this is something that God is calling you this morning, is to go... On a short-term trip. Maybe it's sponsorships. Through Uncharted. We sponsor these different orphans. That we care for and partner with. uh, Over in Myanmar. Uh, We also go and uh, and, and sponsor church planters. My wife and I. On Thursday are going to Myanmar. And we're spending a week. With these church planters and their wives. Just trying to encourage them. And do some soul care. And and practical training. On what it means to be a, a, a church planter. We support these guys through sponsorship. Maybe for you, one of the ways to do that, one of the ways to get involved in God's mission is to support. And finally, I love this. I love what, the interaction I had with my son the other day. This whole idea of resourcing mission. My son's really smart. He's a brilliant kid. He like For fun, he downloads uh, this app called SketchUp. And he, he designs houses. Um, he goes to the library and he gets blueprints. Like, I was not doing this sort of stuff when I was 13, right? And he sits at the computer and he designs these huge houses. And, he, and so the other day we are talking about this. He said, Dad, you know, you know I want to be an architect someday and, and I want to make a lot of money. I said, oh, okay. I mean, that, you know, that's fine. Is that so you can buy me a brand new Triumph Bonneville or, or what? You know, he's like, no, Dad, I, I want to I make a lot of money because I want to be a really great donor. I, I want to give a lot of money to reaching lost people for Jesus. Like, wow, whose kid are you? I mean, this, this, for some of you, maybe this is the way that God is shoulder-tapping you to engage in mission. God has given you this unique ability and skill to do well in business and to support great movements like City Church and great organizations like Community One and global organizations like Uncharted. Maybe that's the most practical way that you can engage in mission. So, The first way to respond to God's invitation to move and to actively participate is through the activity of mission. Let me end now with the last point, though. The second way that we respond to God's invitation is through a lifestyle of mission. A lifestyle of mission. Look back at our passage in Luke chapter 9. Something really interesting takes place here in Luke chapter 9. We see Jesus' invitation in verses 1 and 2. We see how he talks about what this invitation includes and the mission includes. Uh, in verses 3 through 6, uh, uh, he talks a little bit more about what this mission entails, the dependency upon the Father. And then in verse 7, look at verse 7. It says, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening and he was greatly perplexed. Now this is interesting. This feels like abrupt and, and awkward. Why, why is Luke talking about Herod here? We were just talking about mission and going and here we, yeah. And and now Herod. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was happening and he was greatly perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen again. And Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man? Who is this man about whom I hear such things? And he kept trying to see him. Here's why I think Luke included this section it's very much connected to what we just read two things i think why luke put this is that first of all he wants to remind us that when we live a lifestyle of mission there's a cost when we choose to engage in god's mission there's a cost it mentioned john the baptist in there and you heard herod saying i beheaded john the baptist I think this is Luke's way of reminding us that if we take seriously the mission of God, there's going to be a cost to us. Now, probably not our heads like John the Baptist, but maybe it'll cost us time. Maybe it'll cost us reputation. Maybe it'll cost us some relationship as we dare to actually talk about Jesus to our friends and to our colleagues. Maybe it'll, talk, maybe it'll cost us some sort of earthly comfort to engage seriously in this mission. There is a cost. But I think the real reason, the ultimate reason why Luke includes this is because of the response that we see from Herod. Check this out in verse 9. And Herod said, I myself had John beheaded, but who is this man about whom I hear such things? Here's the bottom line, you guys. When we engage for real in the mission of God... It's meant to lead people to ask the most important question they could ever ask. Who is Jesus? That's what a lifestyle of mission looks like. That regardless of your age, regardless of where you live, regardless of your vocation, that you live in such a way that compels people and draws people to ask that most important question they could ever ask. My wife... My wife gets this. I have yet to meet anybody who understands and lives out better than her this lifestyle of mission. Our kids right now are 13 and 11, and they're great kids. But when they were 4 and 2, if you, if you have kids in that age right now, or if you've had kids in that age, you know it's hard work, right? It's hard work to raise kids in that age, it takes a lot of energy, and so my w- my wife my wife wife if uh, she would go to the park with other moms of the ages, and they would you know watch the kids play at the park, and end up in the emergency room, and all that sort of good stuff, and and she would talk about she had this uncanny ability of talking about just the reality of of life. The frustrations of raising kids, oh man, I just, there's sometimes I just want to knock their heads together, you know? And then I got this husband who comes home on top of that, and, you know? And so she, she had this uncanny ability of talking about the realities of life, but then also talking about in a very real way the peace and the hope that she has because of Jesus Christ. So she has this sort of relationship with these women, and one day she's at home, and she gets a call from a neighbor lady down the road. Kathy picks up the phone. but The lady doesn't even say, hey, Kathy. She just says, I, I, I want what you have. I want what you have. And Kathy's like, what are you talking about? Like, you want my mixing bowl? You want my car? You want my husband? What are you talking about? What do you mean you want what I have? She's like, no, 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 no. I see something in you, Kathy, that's different. Like, like I hear in you that, that life is real, and you experience frustration, you experience disappointment, and you experience hardship, but I see something deeper in you. There's like this peace about you. I hear hope in you. I want what you have. My wife says, oh, you want Jesus. Today, years later, that wife, that woman, and her husband, and all her kids, and her extended family are all followers of Jesus. Why? Why? Because my wife understands what it looks like to live a lifestyle of mission. That as we go, as we literally leave this building, we are so engaged with life in such a way that it compels people to ask this question. And I love how it ends talking about Herod. And it says, he kept trying to see Jesus. What if we lived like that in our neighborhoods? What if we lived like that in our places of work? What if we lived like that in our universities, in our high schools? Where people would be described as they kept trying to see Jesus. Because of the way we lived on mission. So friends, here's my one prayer for myself and for you this morning. It's courage. I don't know. I don't know if God's been speaking to you at all through this, that maybe he has been shoulder tapping you for some really tangible, practical action in mission. Would we have the courage to take that step? But for all of us, would we have the courage to live on mission in this place, in this community right now, today? In a way that compels people to ask the most important question they could ever ask. Who is Jesus? Let me pray. God, we thank you that you invite us to be part of your work. To be part of your mission. And I pray for myself and I pray for my brothers and sisters that we would have that courage. That we would respond. That we would move from being people who observe, who are on the peripheral to actively participating. In whatever way you're, out, you're calling us to respond, Lord, Will we have the courage to do it, to move, to go boldly. In your name.